Hi there, and welcome back to the Unknown Friends podcast. You have tuned in this week to Season 3, Episode 18, and I'm your host, Rochelle Ferguson of Kitty Wham Productions. Thank you so much for joining me today, and I hope you've already listened to my last couple of episodes, because I've been discussing Isaac Asimov's Foundation Trilogy, and today we are wrapping up this discussion by taking a look at the trilogy's final book, titled Second Foundation. If you've been enjoying exploring Asimov's work with me over the last few weeks, I hope you'll leave a quick five-star review on Apple Podcasts to spread the word about Unknown Friends, and a big thank you if you've already reviewed the podcast. So we have talked extensively in the last two episodes about Isaac Asimov's career, and then more specifically about the development of his foundation stories over books one and two of his trilogy. And... In my opinion, this trilogy gets better with each book, so I am particularly looking forward to today's discussion of book three. Book one, just titled Foundation, was interesting conceptually, but as a reader, I found it difficult to get very invested in it because there was no main character I could get to know well. Book two was easier for me to enjoy because it was a little more focused and more fluid than book one. Still no single main character to root for, but book two did a lot less jumping around between characters than book one did. The second book was divided into just two parts, and each half had its own small set of characters. So as a reader, I was given enough time with those characters to start feeling invested in their stories. Now book three has a similar structure to book two, but I would say it's even more cohesive and more interesting than book two was. Book three, called Second Foundation, picks up quite closely where book two left off. So I talked with you last time about the character called the Mule, who is a new threat that arises against the Foundation in the trilogy's second book. And he actually succeeds in seizing control of the group of planets that make up the Foundation, and it looks like he's going to become the ultimate ruler of the whole galaxy. But what still remains for him to overcome is the mysterious Second Foundation. So centuries ago, at the very beginning of the trilogy, the psychohistorian Harry Selden founded two colonies or institutions, the Foundation and the Second Foundation. And Selden planned for these two colonies and their descendants to keep civilization alive down through the centuries after the fall of the Galactic Empire, until the two foundations grew powerful and stable enough to unite and form a new empire that would bring order and peace back to the galaxy. That was his plan. He foresaw that it could, and in fact would happen, if he just got things started down the right path. But for generations, the second foundation has been shrouded in mystery. Only its own members know where it even exists in the galaxy, on what planet it was established, and only its own members know what exact purpose it serves. In contrast, the general purpose of the first foundation became pretty obvious quite quickly after Harry Selton's passing. From nearly the beginning, the citizens of the first foundation were scientists, 
politicians, war leaders, and merchants. They developed a successful government and quickly took over nearby planets, and they made rapid technological advances and developed a thriving system of trade across the universe. So the first Foundation's strengths were political, economic, and technological. The second Foundation, we slowly learn, exists for quite another purpose. Its citizens thrive in the mental sciences as opposed to the physical sciences. Harry Seldon's own field of psychohistory is maintained through the centuries by the members of the Second Foundation. And in fact, over time, the Second Foundationers develop the mental sciences like psychohistory and psychology so far that they can essentially read people's minds. And ultimately, they even learn how to manipulate people's minds. So they basically become telepaths after a few centuries. Mind control is well within their power. A little wild, but remember this is science fiction. Now, all this is happening in secret. No one on the outside, not even members of the first foundation, know anything about the second foundation other than the simple fact that it exists somewhere, because Harry Selden said so. The only hint he gave was that he established it at the other end of the galaxy from the First Foundation. But even that comment can be interpreted in different ways. So, uh, back to the mule. So in book two of the trilogy, he conquers the First Foundation, but the second remains hidden and unconquered. Book three picks up where book two left off with the mule determined to find and destroy the second foundation, which is the last remaining threat to his power. And what makes the last book of Asimov's trilogy so cohesive, I think, is that even though it is split into two distinct parts with different main characters, the whole book centers on the search for the hidden second foundation. Part one is titled Search by the Mule, and part two is titled Search by the Foundation. So here's how that plays out. In part one, the mule sends two of his best men on a quest to discover the whereabouts of the second foundation. Um, And actually, one of those men was a character in book two, so that's also a helpful connection. Now, these two men have very different methods and different motives for helping the mule. And a lot of this part of the story's interest comes, I think, from that tension between them. But be that as it may, they agree on a planet called Tazenda that seems like a possible location for the Second Foundation. And when they arrive and have a look around, it seems very likely that they've found the right place. In fact, the case seems so cut and dry that one wonders if there isn't some deception going on, some disguise or decoy, perhaps. Well, the mule suddenly shows up uh, to destroy the planet Tazenda, and he hopes the second foundation along with it. But when he confronts his two agents who led him there, things kind of blow up. Um, Secrets are revealed Uh, betrayal, manipulation, and it culminates with the second foundation actually showing its hand for the first time ever and coming in direct conflict with the mule in 
a pretty interesting showdown. Now, fast forward to part two of the book. Several decades later, uh, the mule is dead, and the short-lived empire he created has eroded and is now governed by a comparatively weak ruler. The first foundation is free and thriving again, no longer under the control of the mule's successor. And the second foundation, surprisingly, is still hidden. All the mule's efforts to discover its location were thwarted, and the telepaths of the second foundation continue their work, whatever it is exactly, in secret. Uh, but when they had to confront the mule, they, they came out of hiding and showed their power just enough that they have put fear into the rest of the galaxy, um, even in the hearts of the first foundationers. Because the members of the first foundation are physical scientists, and they know very little about psychology and telepathy. And so understandably, you know, people who can manipulate other people's minds are very intimidating, especially if you are ignorant about how that mind control is done. Is anyone safe? Uh, do you even know when it's happening to you? And mind control, uh, incidentally, was the mule's specialty as well. I don't think I ever mentioned this. The mule was a mutant. His power was not physical power, but mental or emotional, more specifically. He had an abnormal genetic ability to perceive and even change other people's emotions. So he could literally make people like him and obey him just by thinking it. Now, the second foundationer's mental powers are slightly different, but they certainly bear strong resemblance to the mule's power. So it's no surprise that all the people the mule once controlled are now quite wary of the second foundationers. And in fact, there's so much distrust between the first and second foundations that in part two of the book, some members of the first foundation take it upon themselves to find and destroy the second foundation. Yes, they know Harry Seldon established both foundations to ultimately work together to restore order to the galaxy, but it seems to them that the mule has disrupted the Seldon plan so much that, you know, they decide they can restore order to the galaxy on their own. Thank you very much. Uh, they have no use for mind manipulators like the Second Foundationers. So now, again, two generations after the mule's death, we have another search-and-destroy mission for the Second Foundation, but this time, it's carried out by the First Foundation itself. Now, how successful this mission is, I am not going to divulge. Uh, but I will just say that Harry Seldon's plan survives this civil war between the foundations, but it survives in a most unexpected way. Isaac Asimov is pretty good at plot twists, and he saves an extra special one for the end of the Foundation trilogy. So, now we need to discuss some of the themes going on here, some of the moral questions raised by Asimov's story. We've touched on some of the issues brought up by his whole concept of psychohistory, but I want to dig a little deeper today. 
So Asimov has created this idea, this fictional science, by which human behavior can be predicted, or at least the behavior of large groups of people. That's how Harry Seldon developed the Seldon plan to save the galaxy from thousands of years of chaos. Now, prediction and predestination are two very distinct things. To foresee how someone will act is not the same as designing how they will act. However, if you can foresee how someone would act in a number of different situations, you can design a situation to kind of lead the person down the path you have chosen, at least in theory. Um, Asimov admits that his psychohistorians can only deal in probabilities, so there is always still a chance that people won't behave how you expect them to behave. And I think that's really important, because we cannot disregard the inexplicability of human free will. Humans don't always behave as you expect, or as seems probable, or even in a way that's consistent with their past choices. Yes, there are patterns in people's choices, and it's generally safe to assume that certain influences will create certain outcomes in people's lives, but there are lots of exceptions. Sometimes two people under the same influence will have opposite reactions to it, and I don't think you can reduce those kinds of choices to, to some kind of science or statistics. But in Asimov's Foundation Trilogy, while he acknowledges the possibility of exceptions, in practice, his psychohistorians are pretty much always right in their predictions. So practically speaking, his psychohistorians, or the second foundationers, are ultimately the only ones with real power in his universe, because they're always right about how everyone else will behave, and they use that knowledge to direct the course of events. And it goes further than that. This is where I get really uncomfortable. In the centuries following Harry Seldon's death, the members of the Second Foundation who carry on his legacy develop brain science and psychology so far that they can actually uh, mentally manipulate other people. Uh, they can basically plant ideas in people's heads without anyone knowing it's going on. This is a big problem. I think this is a serious infringement of human individuality and freedom. This is what makes the first foundationers distrust the second foundation. For good reason, I think. Um, at one point in the book, one of the first foundation leaders is talking about what a perilous situation it is when there are powerful people in the galaxy who can manipulate your mind without your knowledge or consent. And he says, when can a man know he is not a puppet? How can a man know he is not a puppet? So this is really disturbing, right? Um, I think I'm on the side of the first foundationers here. But weirdly enough, Asimov seems to be quite sympathetic to the second foundationers. It's not clear to me that he has much of a problem with the idea of mind control, as long as the one in control is well-intentioned. That really bothers me. You know what road is paved with good intentions, right? Um... So you may say that the person with power is 
controlling someone else for their own good, uh, or in the case of the foundation books, for the good of the universe. But personally, I believe it is fundamentally wrong, fundamentally evil, to try to control another person's will. In my opinion, it is a means that is not justified by even the best of ends. Asimov, on the other hand, seems to believe that the end can justify the means. He portrays the members of the Second Foundation as supremely noble and wise and good. Everything they do is for the purpose of protecting Selden's plan, which in turn serves to protect the galaxy from anarchy. The Second Foundationers are willing to sacrifice even their own lives for this cause, and they do make such sacrifices. But they also sacrifice other people. They have to take over the minds of certain individuals in order to advance their cause, and I don't think that's justifiable. But it seems that Isaac Asimov does. Um, According to the Foundation books, his theory seems to be Someone has to hold power in the universe, so you just make sure the good guys have the power, and then the universe can flourish in prosperity and peace. Uh, I'm probably oversimplifying a bit, but that's the gist that I get from these books. But the problem with that is you are extremely unlikely to have thoroughly good men in positions of supreme power. First of all, very few good men want those positions— And second, you almost always have to sacrifice something good in order to get to power. You have to use some questionable means in order to get to the top. So I think it's a bit unrealistic to say, you know, well, yeah, it's a bad thing for some men to rule over others, unless the rulers are good men, then it'll be fine. No, it's it's practically universal that when you have some men ruling over other men, bad things happen. Um, But unfortunately, history shows us that we seem to have this cycle in civilizations where uh, as soon as freedom gets established, humans inevitably start trying to control one another again. It happens over and over in history, um, and it happens in the Foundation Trilogy. The galactic empire decays and falls apart, only to be replaced by a new empire led by a ruling class of telepaths and psychologists. A little bit freaky, if you ask me. Um, But it's, it's very interesting how positively Asimov portrays this rise of a new government. So that is my quick take on Isaac Asimov's Foundation Trilogy. Lots to think about, and I would be curious to know if he developed any of these themes more deeply or with more nuance in some of his other writings. I wouldn't be surprised if he did. Uh, He was, after all, a, a fairly young man when he wrote the original Foundation books, and he did add to the series later in his life, so... Uh, Perhaps he fleshes out some of his ideas more fully there. So if you have read the Foundation Trilogy or any of Asimov's works, I would love to hear your thoughts on his stories and his themes. 
feel free to message me on Facebook, Instagram, or Patreon, and we can have a conversation there. As always, thank you so much for listening today, and I hope you come back in two weeks for my next episode, in which I will be beginning a new trilogy with you guys. The next one I've selected will definitely set a record as the oldest piece of literature I have yet reviewed on the podcast by a large margin. And what also sets this trilogy apart is that it is a set of three plays as opposed to a series of novels. Our next trilogy will be the Oresteia, written by the Greek playwright Aeschylus in the 5th century BC. The Oresteia consists of three tragic dramas titled Agamemnon, The Libation Bearers, and The Eumenides. And since I myself am a playwright, and I have a deep interest in ancient Greek and Roman literature, I am very excited to explore these three plays with you guys over the next few weeks. So come back next time on September 14th for an introduction to the playwright Aeschylus and his dramatic trilogy, and I hope you'll enjoy that discussion. As always, I am your host, Rochelle Ferguson, and you can learn more about me and my plays by visiting my website, kittywayneproductions.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.